So I am uh, never more aware than on days like today that my preaching is one of the few things standing between us and the end of the service, and on today in particular, one of the few things standing between us and the food I saw being prepared downstairs. I am so delighted to have all of you here this morning, some online, others in person, so grateful for your persistence in planning the celebration of my ordination after being delayed by both pandemic and childbirth. I am so blessed to be in ministry with you and alongside you, and I will do my very best not to preach so long that you no longer want to celebrate at the end of the service. Friends, let us turn now to our scripture for this morning when Jesus casts out some thousand or more demons from man, allows them to possess a herd of 2,000 pigs, which immediately claim themselves over a cliff to a watery death. It is clearly the perfect passage for an ordination celebration with parallels that are surely readily apparent. But at the risk of making it all too plain, I think it answers an important question. What if we were called by God not to go, but to stay put? Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. So I first felt called to ordain ministry a full ten years ago, at a service of ordination very similar to the one I participated in a little over a month or two ago. I was there almost accidentally ten years ago, though it has since seemed more providential than anything else. It was the summer after my first year of college, and try as I might, I could not find a job, which meant that I had no reason not to say yes when my home church asked me if I could attend the annual conference in place of one of their delegates who wasn't able to make it the last night. I had no idea what I was getting myself into for that long weekend or for the rest of my life. My pastor, Jim Tuttle, generously drove me out to Adrian College where the conference was being held in that time and gave me a crash course on the annual conference on the way as we wound our way along two-lane country roads. The gathering of the annual conference, I learned, brought together all the clergy and delegates from every church within the conference to do important work, like approving budgets, appointing leaders, voting on all manner of resolutions, and ordaining new elders and deacons. It's a lot to pack into a long weekend, but I eventually found my place among the crowd, listening and voting and participating alongside church delegates from all across the state of Michigan. And then came the service of ordination. It was held in a campus chapel on Sunday afternoon at the conclusion, if not the culmination, of the annual conference. And all was fine until the end. After all the various clergy had gone forward for commissioning and ordination, when the bishop stood to introduce the final hymn of the service and offered an invitation that I did not expect. He invited all those who felt a call on their life for ordained ministry to come forward during the hymn to meet a representative of the church at the altar for a prayer, a blessing, an introduction on how to begin the process that might one day lead them to be a part of that service some year in the future. And with that, the organist began the introduction of the hymn, Here I Am, Lord. The congregation began to sing, and a few brave souls made their way to the front of the sanctuary. I ask you, do you think that I joined them? Did I go? This is another question for you answer. Do you think that I joined them, friends? No, not on your life. There's a bit of a refrain to this story you'll catch on quick. I had thought about the possibility of ministry once or twice, but I didn't think God had called me to 
I was comfortable studying engineering, I was happy planning my own life and charting my own path, and I was certainly unwilling to uproot everything I knew to go somewhere else. So I stayed put in my pew and sang louder. <laughs> as we moved to verse 2 and then 3, I watched as the bishop slowly descended the steps from the chancel down to the chapel floor. He was a mountain of a man. He could have looked Goliath in the face, and his stern look was just as strong, if not stronger, than David's stone and slip. He was dressed for the service in a long black robe, an imposing and intimidating black robe, and he had a shepherd's crook in one hand that was at least as tall as he was, and he was clomping it on the floor as he walked around. And he paced up and down the aisles of the chapel as if to compel people forward by the sheer force of his presence. A few more went forward. And I ask you, friends, did I go? No. Again, a refrain. You'll get it. When we began the fourth and final verse, I felt relieved that the end of the hymn was in sight and suddenly realized just how much effort it was taking to stay put in that cube. My pulse was racing. There was a bead of sweat slowly making its way down my forehead. I was no longer so sure that I wasn't called to ministry, and the invitation was right there. But I ask you, friends, did I go? Did I go? No. No, no the hymn ended after four verses, but my relief was short-lived as the bishop turned around and instructed us to keep singing. There is someone else here, he said, who has felt a call to ministry and has not yet come forward. And he stood at the front, no longer pacing, just visually scanning the congregation. I stopped singing. I leaned forward and clutched the back of the pew in front of me. I could hardly deny the call to step forward now, but did I go? No. After one additional verse, the bishop put his hand in the air like a conductor, gave a cue we all recognized, and the verse started all over again. And then the bishop looked at me. Some little 18-year-old he had never met before on the left side of the sanctuary, about 10 pews back, and he locked eyes, and I looked back at the bishop. To this day, I don't know if he had seen my internal struggle played out in my body language. I don't know if he just got lucky. I don't know if God really does just work through bishops sometimes. I felt the call, but did I go forward then? No, I did not. No, eventually the service ended. And the congregation filed out as I stayed firmly planted in my pew with a curious prayer now running on repeat through my heart. What do you want with me, Jesus? Why would you torture me like this? So also wonder the man possessed by unclean spirits, having run from a distance to kneel at Jesus' feet, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. The Gospel writer explains that the man says this because Jesus has already commanded the spirits to leave. While we might see first the resistance, it reveals what is already in progress. Sometimes our own resistance is the best indication that God has already called us beyond the place where we have been. 
It might be the clenched fist or the clutched pew that helps us see for the first time how God has been healing and redeeming our lives. It might be our stubborn insistence on staying put that exposes the call to step forward. Jesus has encountered the spirit-possessed man in the very shadow of death. Cast out of his community, living among the tombs, unable to be bound even by chains, and left to harm himself night and day as he barely clings to life in agonizing existence. He is so consumed by his demons that Mark describes him not as one with an unclean spirit, but one in an unclean spirit, overwhelmed and nearly gone by the demons that swallowed him up. It is from here. On the very border of survival, that the man begs Jesus to leave him alone. But Jesus knows better. Jesus interrogates the spirit, learns his name, Legion. We are many. And it allows the horde to possess a herd of 2,000 pigs, which immediately fling themselves off of a cliff and into a lake to drown. This is strange because pigs can swim and so have no business drowning in a lake. But even stranger is that the crowds of townspeople do not seem to care about the thousands of pounds of now-deceased swine polluting their water source. Mark tells us that the news of what happened spread quickly through the city and the surrounding countryside, and this crowd forms around the formerly possessed man. And when they see him sitting calmly, now fully dressed in his right mind, they were awestruck and terrified. They were amazed at the power Jesus had wielded and thoroughly unsettled at the man's sudden return to himself. They are not nearly as upset by the decimation of their livestock as they are by the sudden return of the man that they had chased out of town and into the tomb. The man they had tried to chain up. The man they had left for dead. How now would they fix those fractured relationships? welcome this man back into his community. God's mercy is all well and good until it comes home to roost. And the town begs Jesus to be on his way before he can upend their neighborhood any further. The man himself is just as ready to leave with Jesus as the crowd is to be rid of both of them. This man begs to follow Jesus with the same insistence he had only moments before begged Jesus to leave him alone. He has come round to the work of Christ in him. He's no longer yearning to stay put, but ready to go, because going anywhere would surely be easier than staying put. Perhaps he envisioned a fresh start, somewhere new with no personal history to manage, a place where he would need to do little more than proclaim the gospel to great applause. Perhaps he hoped to be a traveling evangelist welcomed in every town as he passed through, or a missionary who would be applauded as he rushed into a needy community. Perhaps he had visions of grandeur, of leaving all his troubles behind and finding heaven on earth because he had courageously accepted God's call to go. Perhaps these were his dreams. Perhaps those were my dreams alone. In any case, God has a habit of taking those fleeing for heaven and planting them right back on earth. Jesus refuses to allow the newly liberated man to follow and has him stay put instead. Go home to your own people, Jesus says to him. Go home 
and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. This is a good instruction, if still a hard one. When God rescues us from the shadow of death, when we are redeemed and invited to share our story of God's good grace, an invitation, by the way, laid on all of our lives, whether it happens in ordained ministry or anywhere else, when we are rescued from our demons to share the good news of the gospel as we have experienced it, it can change and transform us in ways that challenge and pull at our former relationship and community. What if the response is not to go, but to stay, not to leave, but to love? I've heard it said that to really love someone is to attend a thousand funerals of the person they used to be. Living in Christian community is never static, and it's never easy as Jesus continues saving us all from our demons. And so when one is rescued from the demons of vice or addiction, we welcome them and support their new practices in life. When one is welcomed from the demons of self-hatred, and learn to accept themselves and their sexual orientation as God, as God has made them be a straight or clear we welcome them and celebrate their newfound peace on life. When one is saved from the demonic oppression of silence to speak out against injustice or racism or misogyny, we welcome them and let their prophetic words shape the movements of our own time. When one is saved from the demons of jealousy or revenge and learns to love their enemies, we welcome them and learn from the depths of their compassion. And it is never easy. And with every new saving grace comes the loss of what was, pulls at the fragile network of relationships that bind us in community, but we can plant ourselves even deeper in a neighborhood where we are ever practicing our faith. When I finally accepted my call to ordain ministry, I was ready to leave my pew. I was ready to go to the ends of the earth, but I found myself instead back where it all began. Worshipping at and serving in a local church I loved, and back at an annual conference ordination service, albeit with a much shorter bishop. This year, the bishop called my name, and I left my seat only to be sent right back. With a stole around my shoulders and the bishop's words ringing in my ears, Dylan, be an elder among us. Go home, Jesus said. Live among your people. Tell your story of how God has shown you mercy. And so the man did, proclaiming the good news among the people he Because I'm still a little traumatized. Friends, let us stand and sing together. 